Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. <laughs> Good morning. How are you all? It's good to see you. I can still recognize you, you know, even though I'm only seeing about this much. It's good to see you guys. Uh, well, welcome this morning. If you are new, especially, we want to welcome you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm Heather Kamira. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just really glad to be with you, as always. Uh, we have um, been going through this series called Resilient, and, and it's brought up a lot of thoughts um, as I've sat there listening to this really great series so far. And one of them is this. If you ask anyone, just anyone that you know, um, hey, what do you think the, the key to success or what do you think makes, makes the difference between a person who's really successful and ends well uh, between that person and a person who doesn't? And, and I think if you were to ask people, you would get probably a really wide variety of answers, right? You'd get things like, well, it's probably their IQ. They're just really, really smart. Or uh, maybe it's their, you know, the opportunities that they've had in their lives. Or maybe it's, you know, the family they were born into or the money they were born into. Or maybe you'd get an answer like, well, they're just, they're just really beautiful looking people and just success seems to follow them wherever they go, you know? I mean, you get a variety of answers, right? And what I've realized is, you know, this has not been you know, just a question I've been thinking. This is a question that researchers and psychologists have been pondering and have been trying to figure out for a really, really long time. Because businesses want to know how to cultivate success, right, in their people. And, and so what researchers have found is, is that way beyond intelligence and way beyond, you know, the family you were brought up in and, and your talents and, and things like that is, is something they've defined, at least recently, as grit. And you might have heard this word before especially if you're in the business world, uh, it's the word grit, and it means passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Because this is what they're finding is kind of a key to being really successful, to have high impact in your life. And I think there's definitely something to this. There's something about you know, getting, getting and keeping your eye on that prize and, and that ability to get back up when you fall back down. There's something that is correlated with that when it comes to success and ending well. And I've, I've thought about this many times as we've, as we've been in our series, looking at the life of Joseph. And I think this is, this is why we've entitled it Resilient. Resilient. Because if anyone had a reason to give up, <laughs> it sure was Joseph, wasn't it? I mean, it's Joseph. This guy has been through everything. And one hard thing after another, right? And we've seen that in this series. I mean, first of all, he's totally rejected and hated by his brothers. Then he's almost killed by them, right? And then he's trafficked and sold into slavery. Then he's falsely accused. He's thrown into jail. He's totally forgotten. And this guy has been through a lot. In this series, we've defined kingdom resilience as just simply taking one more step with God, right? One more step with God. But how does Joseph do it? How does he keep going amidst all that he's been through? Is it because he's just a really strong person? 
Is it because he's just super capable? He's a really great planner? <laughs> is it because of he wearing those really cool coats? I mean, is it because he was the favored son? What? Why? What is that ingredient, that mysterious ingredient? The world tells us that what we need to do when we face hard times is we just need to have a little bit more faith in ourselves, right? Just have a little bit more faith in ourselves to believe that we're strong. But I think that's really nice thought until you actually hit rock bottom. And if you have, you know that this just doesn't hold up, does it? When you've hit rock bottom, you don't have anything left. You don't have any strength left, right? And I know all too well <laughs> that, you know, living off of just your own strength is such an empty well because it always leaves you dry. It always leaves you dry. You know, Joseph doesn't live his life this way, right? We've seen this. He lives in such a different way. What we've seen over and over in the series is that he keeps taking one step with God because he has faith that God is with him, which is repeated over and over again, right? In these last chapters, what we've been looking at, that God is with him. And today, what we're going to see is that he also believes that God is using everything in his life for good. He's using everything for good. It's God's strength that Joseph chooses to rely on, not his own. And it's in God's purpose that, that Joseph puts his trust in, not his circumstances in the moment. Even on his darkest days, he holds on to the truth, maybe those dreams that he had when he was really young, maybe he's holding on to those dreams, going, Lord, I know that you're not done with me yet. I know that you're not done with me yet. And there is more to the story that he doesn't yet see. There's more to his story. And, and doesn't that just provoke hope in us just a little bit today? <laughs> doesn't that, when we think about the fact that God is working behind the scenes for our good, I mean, that gives me hope today that there is more to our story than we can yet see. Before we dive into the passage this morning, let's just go ahead and pray, okay? We just want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to come close today. Lord, that your presence would be near to us today. Lord, we just turn your face toward us. Lord, I pray that we would hear from you today, God. Would you just get, give us that deep assurance that you are with us, that you are with us, Jesus. I pray that you would encourage our hearts with this story today. We just give you this time. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, last week, Michael did a great job. Poor guy. He couldn't actually hit it out of the park because you, you had to stop just short of the real <laughs> apex of the story. But he did a great job at kind of setting it up for today. Uh, the brothers here in the story, they still don't recognize Joseph. I mean, they've been before him. This is the third time now, and they still don't recognize him. And I guess, well, it's been like 20 plus years since they've seen their brother. It was like 17 when they sold him into slavery. So, you know, it's been a while. He's grown up. And, and think about it, too. I mean, he's in the Egyptian garb. He probably has a sh his, his head shaved. He's completely clean-shaven. He might even have one of those fake goatees on, which actually was like a sign of being superior and having great authority in those days. So this guy looked nothing like what they remember, right? 
But also, unbeknownst to them, Joseph has been testing them, hasn't he? He's been testing them. And here we see at the end of chapter 44, Judah's touching appeal. And it finally shows Joseph that his brothers have actually changed. Not only are they repentant, but they've really changed. And so here we see this amazing unfolding scene starting in chapter 45 of Genesis, running through chapter 47, and we start in verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everybody leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. <laughs> this is a great scene, isn't it? I mean, first of all, Joseph starts yelling. He just starts screaming, get out, everybody get out. And then he starts bawling. I mean, he's sobbing so loudly that everybody hears him. And then what's most shocking of all is that without an interpreter this time, he speaks in their own language. He speaks in Hebrew and he says, I am Joseph. And they're stunned, aren't they? Their, their faces probably go white at this point. Um, it says they're terrified, but actually it's, it means distressingly distraught is the word. I mean, they're utter shock. Could this be? No way. This cannot be true. Because if this is true, this guy is a number two to Pharaoh. I mean, he's right next to Pharaoh in power. And that means, uh-oh, right? I mean, what is he going to do to us? Because he knows what we did. He knows our secret. And really, he could have, couldn't he? I mean, he had a lot of options at his disposal. I mean, Joseph is pretty powerful at this point. I mean, he could have been like, you know what? I'm just so glad you guys are here because I'm going to throw you in jail and give you a little taste of your own medicine. I'm going to totally just put you there. You're going to have to just fend for yourself for a couple years. No representation, just in a foreign prison. Have fun. Or he could have said, no food for you. Sorry. You just go back to Canaan, go back to your father, just languish there for the next you know, five years. You know? He could have done that. He could have even just had them executed, right? He had the power to do that, but he doesn't do that, does he? He takes this fourth option. And we see in, chat, in uh, verse four, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Wow. Joseph chooses what? He chooses to forgive them. That, man, I mean, he chooses to forgive them. I mean, what's interesting here, right there in the beginning of, of verse 4, is he says, come close. And what's interesting, in ancient cultures, even today in some uh, Muslim uh, Middle Eastern cultures, to look somebody right in the eye, to come close and look them right in the eye, is, is actually considered a sign of disrespect. Uh, it means you're trying to be superior to that person. Um, you're trying to, it's like a sign of aggression. 
Um, you don't usually look people right directly in the eye. You kind of lower your gaze, right? It's kind of a sign of respect. But, but Joseph is saying, no, I know, I know. I might be the ruler, but right now, right now I'm your brother. I'm your brother. And I'm not angry with you anymore, so come close. Come close. I mean, this is, this is just a beautiful restoration story just happening and unfolding. You know what it reminds me of? Um, it reminds me of that movie, Hook. Do you remember that movie? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's when, it's when uh, Peter Pan, who's played by Robin Williams, he comes back all grown up, and the Lost Boys don't recognize him, right? Except for the littlest Lost Boy. And he comes up to, to Robin Williams, remember this? And he squeezes his wrinkles back, and he goes, oh, there you are, Peter. I just love that. that that's what I think. Like, what, what, wonder if Benjamin, looking at his older brother that he thought was dead, goes, oh, there you are, Joseph. And he sees, and they recognize, and they, they hear his voice, and, and they hear his words of comfort and forgiveness. I mean, 20 years has changed Joseph. I mean, yeah, both outside, but also inside. And, and I want you to know, there's not a slightest, the slightest hint of reproach in this, in this section. He urges them actually to not be grieved or angry with themselves. And that is so interesting, because I think that can kind of be a test of if you've really forgiven somebody, is if, you know, you, you know, because if you're honest, like, if you really haven't forgiven, you want to see the person squirm a little, you know, you want them to be a little bit uncomfortable, maybe feel really convicted by what they did. But when you've let it go, when you've given that person to Jesus utterly, and you say, Lord, I forgive them, there's this ability to say, I want that person to be at ease. And that's what Joseph's doing here. He's telling them in spite of everything that God has turned and trumped and overruled their sin to bring about blessing, to bring about blessing. And now we're getting to the heart of how Joseph really saw life. He's saying to them, you know, it's not your ploys that got me here. It's God's plan that got me here. And he's discovered something in all those years um, before this. And he says this, these two powerful words. He says them twice. He says, but God, but God. I mean, those are powerful words and easy to just miss if you just fly on by. But, but it has, those two words change everything for Joseph. They change everything for him. He sees the hand of God throughout his whole life. And so he's not out to retaliate. He's not out to punish them. He's actually extending mercy He's giving them what they really, he's not giving them what they deserve, right? But he goes a step beyond that, which we see in the next passage here. He's not going to retaliate. He's going to actually do the opposite. He's going to bless them, lavishly bless them, protect them, provide for them for the rest of their lives. And that's grace. That's giving them what they don't deserve. That's giving them lavish blessing. And, and I want to ask before we jump into this next passage, have you ever been forgiven like that? extended mercy, extended grace like that. Because if you know Jesus, you have, haven't you? You've been extended that kind of forgiveness because Jesus himself took on what we deserved himself so that we could be united with the Father and, and experience true forgiveness for the rest of our lives. I mean, this powerful picture right here. And we, we just keep going in verse nine. Now hurry back to my father, he says to them. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You should live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. 
I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all that belongs to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, this, that it really is I who is speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers sat and just talked to him. I love that. And then he urges them. So he urges them right away, hurry home, tell my father what's happened, tell him I'm still alive and tell him to come back here because I'm gonna provide for you guys. And with these words of encouragement and this command, Joseph then embraces them and with tears, he kisses them and he kisses all of them. So that means Simeon, that means Reuben, that means Judah. We're talking the guys that literally just wrecked his life in the beginning, right? The guys who sold him, sold him out. He embraces them and he forgives them. Man, you can't genuinely do that. You cannot genuinely embrace somebody if you haven't forgiven them. Boy, what a picture. And then it continues on in, in verse 25. So they went out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan and they told him, Dad, uh, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. And Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe him. But when they told him everything Joseph had said, and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry them back, the spirit of their father Jacob was revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my, Joseph, my son Joseph is alive, and I will go and I will see him before I die. So here's this, this safe return of all the brothers, especially Benjamin. I mean, Jacob is just waiting to see them. It's been a long time. And he's expecting them to come back home, but not in such style. <laughs> they have all this stuff with them. And the ultimate surprise is that his long lost son, Joseph, is still alive, second to Pharaoh himself. And the news is almost too far, for, too far great for Jacob. It actually says, the word here is, is his, his heart stood still. <laughs> so it skipped a beat uh, there for a second. Um, and he sees all these wagons full of provision. And he thinks, well, the only way this could have happened is if it's true, if he really is alive. And so he says, come on, guys, we're going. Let's pack up everything we've got. We're moving to, to, to Egypt. I want to see my son. And here's this beautiful, beautiful just conclusion here as we see the reunion of a father and son. Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. And when they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph and his chariot made ready had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. There's a lot of weeping going on. I love this. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. I mean, boy, this is a beautiful picture, beautiful reunion. But what's interesting is Joseph here, he's not just a boy anymore. Joseph is the prime minister. Um, he's number two <laughs> in the land. And, and you know, you remember the dream that, that Joseph had in the very beginning when he was young was that all of his family would bow down to him, including his father. And he could have easily said, well, dad, good to see you, but now's your time. If you want to bow, just go right ahead. Because <laughs> he had all the power and the authority, right, to do that. But he doesn't do that. He does the opposite of what you would expect, which is so true to the, to the character of Joseph. He, he readies himself and he presents himself to his father as such a sign of respect. 
And then he fell on his neck and wept a good while. I love that. It doesn't say they hugged. So they fell on each other's necks. <laughs> love that. And they wept. Just imagine that. Joseph hasn't seen his son for, what, 22 years? I mean, he almost doesn't believe it could be true. And there he sees his son and gets to embrace him. He's alive. And then the, the passage we see, this passage ends in, in chapter 47 and verses 11 through 12. So Joseph settled his father and brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and brothers and all his children, the, all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. So now we've walked through this beautiful story of restoration, of reunion, and, and I want to kind of settle on this point today. You know, Joseph's story can be summed up, I think, pretty well with one verse in the New Testament, and that's Romans 8, 28. And you know this. You know this verse probably pretty well. Paul says, and we know, not we think, not we hope, not we cross our fingers, maybe, but we know that all things, and I'm not just talking some things, and I'm not just talking a few things, or the things that you pray about, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The literal translation of this verse is, for those loving him, God works together all things for good. <laughs> I love this. This is a comforting, comforting verse, especially in times like this. R.S. Torrey says, this verse is a soft pillow for a tired heart. Mm. How comforting. You know, God is working behind the scenes for our good. That's the truth. That's the truth. And there are some of you here today that you are just tired. You're tired, not because it's the early morning, but because it's just been a really hard season. You're soul weary. You're so weary. And, and I think this is such a comfort to our hearts because do we on a personal level know that no matter what is happening, even currently in our lives, that God is working it all together for good? I mean, there's this really interesting word here, and, it, and it's actually two words in the English. It's work together, and it's one word in the Greek, and it's sunarghetto, and we get the term synergy from it. That's, that's actually where we get the word from. And if you look it up, with synergy, if you know that word, it means working together of various elements to produce a result greater than the sum of those elements. And that's what God does. That's what God does with the sum of all the elements in our lives that seem to not make sense at the time. God is in the midst of it. He's sooner, sooner, sooner ghetto. He's, he's synergizing it together for good. And I know that's really hard to imagine sometimes, especially when we're in the situation that's really hard. It's like, I can't imagine how God would ever use this or make this or turn this into something good. How could he do that? You know, what's interesting, though, about that word is, is when you take certain elements, certain compounds, that in and of themselves are actually poisonous. Two compounds that are poisonous, and you put them together, they're actually really helpful, like sodium chloride. You ever heard of that? The table salt. I mean, it makes things taste really good, but they're made from two toxic chemicals that would actually probably kill you. It's, it's amazing that God can do that, not just in the, the scientific, natural world, but that he can do that in our lives as well. He can take what 
gosh, we think would never be related, would never come together, and he can make it into something just beautiful. What's interesting is, is Joseph, he calls it what it is. He calls these elements in his life toxic. He just calls it what it is. And he doesn't mince words. He says, guys, you meant this for evil. These are really bad things that happen. These in and of themselves are things that are just really bad. You, you meant this for evil. You had evil intentions, but God, but God meant it for good. And I, and I want to just look at, uh, before we close, I want to look at what was the good, okay? What was the good that came out of all these toxic, hard things that, that were in Joseph's lives that had happened to, that had happened to Joseph? I want to look briefly at, a, at some of those things because I think it really encourages us too today. And number one, I would say the good that came out of all that stuff that happened to Joseph was that he was able to save the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's just a little thing. Uh, save the world from famine. And it says the saving of many lives. And when it comes to our lives, I think when we go through suffering, what does it do? It increases our awareness of other people's suffering. It opens our eyes. It, boy, I'm not the only one that's going through hard times and I see that person and I see that person is struggling and it opens our eyes, it gives us empathy and it gives us compassion for others because we've been there. We've been there too. What if our suffering, if we, if we had our suffering and we realized, you know what, God, you're, I would just pray that you would use this as salvation for someone else, as comfort for someone else, as hope to someone else someday, I, I would really encourage us to not let our suffering and pain go to waste. I mean, very, at the very least, letting God take that time of suffering and, and the lessons we've learned from that to help someone and give them comfort and hope. I mean, this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is how we're supposed to operate in the kingdom, in the body of Christ. And then number two, the other good that we see is that it was to bring Israel and the children of Israel down into Egypt. And for hundreds of years, actually 400 years, they are nurtured and they are, you know, protected and they're provided for in the land of Goshen and, and they multiply. <laughs> they multiply from 70, which is recorded in scripture, about 70 came from Canaan to Egypt to about like, they think maybe three to four million. I mean, it's like, whoa, in 400 years. But really what it did was it preserved the line and the lineage of the Messiah. That's, that's what God was up to here. He was preserving that lineage, the, the lineage of, of Jesus Christ. You know, when we see our lives, we see a very small bit, don't we? But when God looks at our lives, he sees this incredibly big picture, the impact that our lives make and the ripple effect that it has throughout generations. I mean, think about that. Your life can have great impact throughout generations, and it does. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, that's what's so beautiful is we don't just live for ourselves. We get to live for something way bigger than ourselves. The purposes and plans of God and the kingdom and what he's up to in restoring this world. And I just, I love that. I love that. Because ultimately, within the kingdom of God, his plan, his purposes, his reign and rule, ultimately justice will prevail. In the end, justice will prevail. And in the end, everything will be made right and new. 
And I want to be about that. I want to be about the kingdom of God. And then number three, what we see is that Joseph himself, his life is transformed. He's transformed. He has become this soft, I mean, this guy has wept, what, like six times already <laughs> in these last couple chapters? I mean, he has wept and what he's soft, and he's become this forgiving man. All that jo- Joseph has gone through has actually increased his dependence on God. It's increased his dependence on God because when we go through hard times, what does it do? It, it, we realize how much we do need God. <laughs> we can't do it alone. We need him. We absolutely need him, especially when difficult things come. And when we cling to God, and this is what's so beautiful about the character of God. I like to think of the character of God as something that's contagious. When you cling to God, and I'm not just saying, like, get close in proximity. I'm, call, I'm saying get close in intimacy. Get close with God. When you get close with God, he rubs off on you. You catch what he has. <laughs> He's contagious, and you become more like him become more like him. You know, God is not in a rush like we are. He's in the business of transforming and changing our hearts to be more like Jesus, making us more like him. And that is a lifelong process. Thank God. (laughs) It takes a while. And I want to end just today with a really cool story. And I know you might have heard this story before, but it's too good not to tell. Uh, And I think it really fits with just what God is doing in our lives I think it's a beautiful picture of that. And what it's about, it's a, about a Polish composer, Ignacy Paderewski. Have you heard of him? <laughs> uh, he's, so he's a famous composer and, and Polish composer. And a mother, she took her small child to a concert that Paderewski was giving. And she just wanted to expose him to the talent of a great pianist because he had just started taking his own little piano lessons. She wanted to encourage him. So they arrived early at the concert and seated, you know, somewhere near the front. And standing alone on the stage, just sitting there, was this gorgeous Steinway grand piano, just waiting there for Paderewski. And as they waited for the concert to begin, the mother entered into a conversation with the people next to her. And eventually 8 o'clock came, and the lights began to dim, and everyone turned their attention to the stage, and there was her little boy sitting at the piano, just playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star with his little finger. And she's mortified. I mean, she's mortified. As she starts to approach um, the stage, Paderewski comes out, and he sits right next to the little boy. He went over. And he sat right next to him, and he whispered in his ear, don't quit, keep playing, keep playing. And as the little boy continued to play, twinkle, twinkle, little star, Paderewski reached down with his left hand and began to fill in the bass notes. And then he put his hand around the little boy, and he started to fill in the beautiful high harmonies and the high parts. And together, this old master and this young novice held the crowd mesmerized, and brought them to their feet in applause. You know, we don't always see what God is doing behind the scenes. We don't always see how he's weaving our lives together for good. But that's why he says to us today and through Joseph's story, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. Because when we hit those storms of life, 
we step onto the rock that can never be shaken, which is Jesus Christ himself. It's not sinking sand. It's the rock that cannot be shaken. And when we stand on his truths, to the truths being that, that we are made on purpose and for a purpose. And in him, that's where we find that life-giving hope and that strength to take that one more step with him. What anchored Joseph in the storms of his life is what should anchor our lives today, that God would not leave him and that in the end, God's purposes would prevail. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand. As the worship team uh, leads us in one last song here, we're just gonna, or actually two more songs, we're gonna worship and just take a time to put our, our gaze and our attention back on the Lord, and then I'll come back up and close our time together. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.